Everybody knows it's coming upon. Take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it Welcome to Great Speeches and Interviews on Access Sacramento and The Voice. I'm Steve Lerman. Today's program is a debate on should the U.S. oppose immigration. The U.S. was built on the hard work of its immigrants. The U.S. is home to an estimated 11 million illegal immigrants. Do immigrants take American jobs or does immigration help the economy? This verse inscribed on a plaque at the base of the Statue of Liberty says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. But do we really all agree on what that means? Or if we flip it around and say, Don't give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, what does that mean? Well, that's what we are here to debate. This is another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We're at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. And here on the stage, we have two teams of two members each to argue over this motion. Don't give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. We have a Texas mayor. We have a man who has written laws on immigration. We have a former congressman and a journalist who has written about immigration who will be arguing this out and trying to change your minds because that's what this is. This is a debate in which you, our live audience, are are the judges. By the time the debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote twice, once before the debate and once again afterwards. And the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winners. So on to round one. Round one, we have opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for this motion, Tom Tancredo, who's a former uh, Colorado congressman who sought the 2008 Republican nomination for president to bring attention to the issue of illegal immigration. And while the language of this debate is, is a little bit spicy and to a degree metaphorical because we know that the side is not against all immigration, it's not that absolute, you did nevertheless sign up to argue for this side. That's right. Don't give us. And Tom, so in a sentence, why have you identified yourself so powerfully with this battle on well, illegal immigration? Uh, frankly, I, you look at it and begin to think about the ramifications of, of immigration, both legal and illegal, and they are fascinating. It is really one of the most intellectually stimulating areas of public policy I think we can possibly okay. talk about. we'll let you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Tancredo. 
A great deal of mythology has built up around the Statue of Liberty, around uh, the Emma Lazarus poem, and a lot of that mythology, of course, is just that. It's mythology. But unfortunately, the whole idea of immigration has a sort of a nostalgic appeal to us, but we can't confuse that and develop true policy today based on mythology and, and, you know, some of the myths that we have to dispel. I think tonight's a good place to do it is, you know, first of all, the Statue of Liberty was not a gift from France that was designed to explore the wonderful idea of open immigration. Indeed, it had nothing to do with immigration policy. Um, It had everything to do with extolling the virtues of a republic. In fact, the statue was called Liberty Enlightening the World. It was not called Liberty Inviting the World. For a long period of time in American history, we had what I would think was and believe is a rational policy. It was rational for us to bring in a lot of people, especially uh, during the heyday of American immigration, the 1890s, 1900s, a lot of people who were low-skilled, low-wage people. Why? Because, of course, we were building the Industrial Revolution here. They were fueling it. It served a purpose for the people coming, and it served a purpose for the people here. There, there is another myth I want to try to dispel quickly, and that is that immigration has always been sort of a straight-line increase from the time America started and, you know, until today, that it's always just been going up. Absolutely untrue. We had periods of high immigration. We had periods of low immigration. And you know what happened during the periods of low immigration? People used that time to assimilate. We can have a massive amount of, of immigration into this country as long as we have assimilation along with it, because assimilation is not occurring. It's not occurring to the extent that we need it to in this country. We desperately need, perhaps more than any country in the world, we need things to hold us together, to think about as being Americans, to connect together, not pull us apart. And I'm afraid our immigration policy is doing just that. Thank you, Tom Tancredo. Our motion is... Don't give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. And here to argue against the motion, I'd like to introduce Julian Castro. He is mayor of San Antonio, Texas. He is a superstar in his party. Tech, uh, he is, was the youngest, at the time, the youngest member ever elected to the San Antonio Council and is now the youngest mayor of a major U.S. city. Although, Julian, you know that if you stay in that job a lot longer, people are going to stop saying <laughs> that. I'm already starting to get the gray hair. <laughs> so. Ladies and gentlemen, Julian Castro. Thank you all very much. Thank you. The United States, of all of the countries in the world and all of the countries throughout history, has defined itself as the nation that has taken in folks from around the world and allowed them to pursue their dreams, to reach their American dream, and to become somewhat from someone who was poor and huddled among masses to someone who was successful. And so it is that I believe we need to continue to welcome not only the wealthy, but the poor from other countries. We need to do that for several reasons. The first is that immigrants are vital to our national economy. Uh, Immigrants actually uh, found companies at almost twice the rate of native-born U.S. citizens. Companies founded by immigrants in the year between 1995 and 2005 actually created 450,000 jobs in the United States of America in one single year. Uh, They generated $52 billion in sales uh, in industries like uh, high technology and engineering that the number of folks who start those companies is at 25% nationally, and in Silicon Valley, it's at 52.4%. And remember, it is a false distinction to think that the folks who found these companies start off as wealthy. Oftentimes, they don't. 
And I believe that it is important for folks generally to assimilate. What we have seen is that from time to time, there has been this uh, very intense concern about balkanization. Benjamin Franklin famously said that we should rid Pennsylvania of the Germans in 1751. We had the Alien and Sedition Acts in 1798, the Chinese Exclusion Act. The reason that we have succeeded as a nation is that we have been able to overcome those impulses. And I believe that we need to continue to overcome those impulses for the future. Congressman Tancredo asked, what's going to keep us together? What's going to keep us together is what always has kept us together as a nation. The fact that people come here to work, they're entrepreneurial, they believe in democracy, they're people of good faith, they have the same values that have always made America great. And I hope we'll continue to do so if we can get the policy right. Julian Castro, your time is up. Thank you very much. So, a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening statements of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and we have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Don't give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. You have heard two of the opening statements, and now on to the third. I'd like to introduce Chris Kobach, who is Secretary of State for the state of Kansas, and who also gets around the country quite a bit, consulting uh, as a lawyer uh, for other states on immigration laws. Uh, He was the co-author of Arizona's controversial SB 1070. You're also defending laws. Now, hissing, please. You're also defending laws in, I believe, Missouri, Texas. Where else? Um, Nebraska. Nebraska. Uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Now, the people in Kansas take, think you're not taking the Secretary of State thing out seriously if you're, you're oh, getting I'm, around I'm, so much? I'm making plenty of noise there, too. Okay. Great Speeches and Interviews is your source for in-depth information about the economy, foreign peace, climate change, and more. Now with more speeches and more interviews than the leading brand, also contains tasty tidbits of humor and song, fortified with more debates than the other brands, and all comparisons are fictional. Broadcast on Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. on KUBU 96.5 FM. Turned into a lake Born on this planet that I didn't make The ice caps are melting You can measure the rise Of the poisoned oceans Hear all the lies Of the political pundits And corporate crooks Their accountants and scientists Cooking the books With hardly an inkling Of what it's about Wedded to profit In flood and in drought I'm talking to you From here at the end of the world Its mountains of soil, washed up farmland covered in oil, one ton every acre, lost every year, and along with the pesticides it ends up right here. Millions of miles of chemical wheat, challenging all to try to compete and lay waste to your country like we've done to ours. Let them eat coffee, sugar, coca, and flowers. I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world. Shrouded in smoke, ten million people this morning awoke to a future of cancer, industrial disease. So let's build some more suburbs and buy SUVs. Cut down the mountains, burn all the coal, 
and put all the money in a humongous bowl. They'll call it progress and they'll blame it on you to end life as we know it, to enrich the few. I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world. Yes, I speak to you now from an occupied place. You might call it your home or a terrorist base. They'll send your sons and your daughters to make sure that it's theirs. While they sit in their mansions in plush leather chairs. And everyone's waiting for us to decide. In dust we were born and in dust we reside. Will we realize the commons is to shepherd and share here in this war zone called land, water, and air? I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world. I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world. Back to the debate, should the U.S. oppose immigration? Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Colback. Thank you. My work uh, in, in terms of immigration policy at the national level began in uh, 2001 when I served as counsel to John Ashcroft at the Justice Department. And after I left the Justice Department in 2003, I left with a very important idea in, in my head, and that was that the rule of law had broken down in immigration, and much had to be done to restore it. But it had to be done not only at the national level, but also at the state level. And that's why I got involved helping states like Arizona and many other states. In 2007, for the first time, every state in the country saw legislation introduced into the state legislature to uh, in some way restrict or slow down the pace of immigration into that state. Not all of them passed, but that's an important point. Every state is a border state now. Now, the reason that nearly all of the states on the map are trying to take steps to discourage illegal immigration is several fold. But the number one driver is a very important point in this debate, and I'd like to start there. The fiscal cost, fiscal cost, the cost to governments, to taxpayers, to illegal immigration in particular, is unsustainable. My point can be summarized in one sentence by Nobel laureate Milton Friedman. He said, it's just obvious. You can't have open immigration and a welfare state. There is an important distinction that needs to be made between the current wave of immigration, which started in the 80s and has been going unabated for three decades, and all preceding waves of immigration. They were not immigrating into a welfare state. They were immigrating into a situation where they rose or they fell based on their own merits. There was no safety net to catch them. Now, the average per household consumption, net consumption of public services and benefits, is estimated from 2007 figures to be $19,400 per year net. They're consuming, and this is all immigrants, the illegal and legal combined, $19,400 per year more in services than they're paying in in taxes. So that's a net drag uh, on the fiscal uh, status of the country. 71% of illegal alien households are consuming some form of welfare. 52% of lawfully present alien headed households are consuming some form of welfare. In contrast, only 39% of U.S. citizen headed households are consuming some form of welfare. Now, the explanation for this is obvious. It has nothing to do with ethnicity or nationality. It has everything to do with economics and demographics. Poor people are more likely to consume welfare. If you look at all immigrants combined, about two-thirds have a high school education or less. And so we are importing a very impoverished uh, set of immigrants, both legal and illegal, into the country. Hazleton, Pennsylvania, one of the cities that I'm representing, they saw their uh, population explode from 2,000 in the year, sorry, from 20,000 in the year 2000 to about 30,000 five years later. 50% increase in population. But they get most of their revenue from an earned income tax, and their revenue remained flat. 
population goes up 50%, no additional tax revenue. That was because most of the additional uh, people coming in were working at a meatpacking plant nearby, were illegal aliens, and they were either earning too little income to pay any taxes or they were earning purely cash income, and the city wasn't getting any revenues. The same thing is happening at the national level. Or take it on the individual level. Look at the jobs. There are 14 million Americans out of work. A vast majority of the 11.3 million illegal aliens have those jobs. About 7 million are in the workforce. Many states are realizing a simple truth. If you want to create a real job for a U.S. citizen tomorrow, deport an illegal alien today. It actually works. But of course, many of you are probably thinking, and I'm sure we'll hear from the other side, that those are jobs Americans won't do. Well, the statistics don't bear that out. Because in every single one of the industry, industrial sectors where illegal aliens are prominent, U.S. citizens still have the majority of jobs there. And they're working right alongside the illegal aliens who are, who are uh, depressing the wages or taking their jobs outright. So if we care about our fiscal health, and if we care about the Americans who are struggling to put food on the table, we should look very seriously at our immigration problem in the United States. Thank you, Chris Colbeck. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is, don't give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Stay with us. This is our motion, don't give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. And now here to speak against the motion, Tamar Jacoby, uh, actually had a long career as a journalist, was a writer, uh, justice reporter for Newsweek, then was deputy uh, editor of the op-ed page of the New York Times, uh, and then you went on to write books about immigration, and now you're running an organization called Immigration Works, which uh, you're, you're not approaching this from the left, but you're actually looking at it from the point of view of the small businessman whom your organization assists. And Tamar, I just want to say, I'm very glad to hear about the post-journalism career success. <laughs> Personally, it's very heartening. You, you too can go <laughs> into politics. Ladies and gentlemen, Tamar Jacoby. Thank you so much, and thank you so much to the sponsors of this event. So let's start by being honest. Um, immigration is about economics. It's driven by economics for the people who get up in their home villages and come here, and it's driven by economics for the Americans who hire them. And the bottom line is, it turns out to be an economic win-win. Immigrants create jobs. And contrary to what you've just heard from Chris Kobach, it's counterintuitive, I know, but you heard me right, immigrants create jobs. It's easy easy to see how that works on the high end. The 25% of the doctors in America who are foreign-born, the 25% of the nurses, the half of all of our science and engineering PhDs who are foreign-born. But it's true at the low end, too, immigrants create jobs. And again, I know this gets even more counterintuitive, but you know, I'll never forget hearing, this is really what, what partly brought me to do what exactly I'm doing now, hearing the man who ran a seafood processing plant on the eastern shore of Maryland talk about his company. He came to the floor of the Senate and he did this. And he talked about he had a 100-year-old family company. The, the, the native-born people on the eastern shore no longer wanted to do the hard seasonal work, right? Americans like full year-round jobs. No wanted to do the hard seasonal work of picking the crab out of the shell. So he brought Mexican women every summer to pick those crabs out of the shell. But because he had those, those seasonal workers, he could actually keep his company open in a way that he wouldn't have been able to if he didn't have them. And because he kept his economy, his company open, that was a job for the manager in the company and the people who packaged the seafood and the accountant in the company. And because he could keep his company open, that was seafood for the restaurants in the town where tourists came to eat seafood. And because those restaurants and the seafood, hotels, gas stations, insurers, you can get the picture up and down the food chain, those lowly, lowest bottom of the totem pole seafood 
pickers, we're keeping an economy going. We have holes at the top and the bottom of the workforce, and we're lucky that they're filled by immigrants who, because they're different from Americans, either more or less skilled, they're complementary, not competitive, they create jobs for Americans. And this is really where I differ from my opponents in this debate. I, too, am for the rule of law. I, too, am for security and effective enforcement. But I also think we need to be honest about our needs. It doesn't really work, I don't think, to have two signs at the border, one that says keep out and one that says help wanted. I don't think that's an honest, stand-up way to go about our business. And as you listen tonight, what I think you should be asking yourself is, is the best way accepting reality, um, allowing people to be here legally, treating them with dignity, or is the best way pretending that we don't need these workers, pretending that we can drive them out when we can't, and driving them further underground? Thank you. To Mar Jacoby. Messages from Access Sacramento. 